Hey, 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 and welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the Mayor Heath Sheeran and the host of this podcast. Guys, I am super pumped today to be bringing you an incredible episode with my friend Sarah Muniz. She is the author of a new book called Undiscovered Voices, Unlocking the Potential of Women in Insurance. It is an awesome, awesome conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. This conversation has been brought to you by some incredible sponsors that I get the opportunity to work with each and every week, and they are proud to bring you this incredible content week in and week out. Smart Choice, the fastest growing agency network for a reason. They have zero lengthy contracts, zero upfront fees. They don't even have monthly fees. All they do is want to work with you to become the best insurance agent that you can be and the best insurance agency you can bring uh, to the table. They help you with bonus and contingency sharing. They negotiate even higher commission structures and lower the premium thresholds for you. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) It doesn't get much better than that. Go to smartchoiceagents.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by my friends over at Canopy Connect, your one-click solution to getting those deck pages you need to quote your prospects. Guys, if you haven't gone to usecanopy.com backslash Heath, what are you waiting on? There's an incredible discount. Schedule the demo just to hang out with Casey and Robert or Tolga or whoever does the demo for you because they are so much fun. You're going to love it. Tell Casey, uh, tell Robert, tell Tolga that I sent you. You'll be glad that you did. Usecanopy.com backslash Heath. Guys, Today's episode, Sarah Mooneys. Sarah Mooneys is awesome. She's worked with Insurance Nerds to put out this awesome book. This episode does have some pretty intimate stories. She gets really transparent with us and talks to us about how she came up with this book. I can't wait for you to check it out. So I'm going to get out of the way. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Sarah Mooneys. Sarah Mooneys, how are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm good. Moon ease. I like that. Uh, I wrote down moon and then ease. So I want to make sure <laughs> that I, I, I pronounced it correctly because I would have really butchered it otherwise. So thank you for helping me with that. And Absolutely. maybe if your husband listens, he won't beat you or I either one. So <laughs> that's well, awesome. Moo like a cow and then knees like your knees. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> you got it. I was thinking it's not easy to walk on the moon. But anyway. All right. So. <laughs> Um, talk to me a little bit. So tell me, you know, cause my audience may be listening like who's Sarah Muniz. So let's back up a little bit. Let's walk down memory lane and let's talk about your story. Let's, you know, catch us up as far as you want to all the way back to catch us up to today. Okay, perfect. Okay. So I've been in the insurance industry since I was basically a, uh, a girl, I would say I started right outside of college. I actually started while I was in college when I was 21 years old. And um, I got offered a temp job that was with State Farm. And um, they told me I could do marketing. My major was um, advertising and my minor was marketing. So I was like, cool, I'm going to like get to make ads for you guys and all this cool stuff. I didn't realize marketing really meant telemarketing. Right. <laughs> So I learned how to talk on the phone um, and my, the lady that hired me was really, really sweet or actually still friends. Um, she's really awesome. And um, she just kind of, she was the one that 
kind of dipped my toes into the insurance pool, if you will. Um, I was still, when I graduated from college, I still was trying to pursue my career. I graduated in 2001. Okay. Or, no, 2002. Sorry, I got married. I was confused when I got married and when I graduated college. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Both very important dates in your life. Very important, but confusing for some reason. <laughs> I graduated 2002 um, and that was right after 9-11 happened, uh-huh. which the very first thing to um, get cut in any industry is advertising. Right. You figure it's not necessary money to spend. First thing to get cut. So I ended up just kind of staying with State Farm after graduation, trying to look for other jobs to do. Um, ended up actually going to do, well, they told me it was, I kept falling for these places saying that I was getting advertising jobs, um, but it ended up being door-to-door sales. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually where I learned how to sell, though. Um, was, well, yes, it was a help. It was. Yeah. So I sold um, Quill office supplies door to door and, um, you know, learned how to sweet talk the gatekeeper and um, really got good. Like they taught me how to do the sales. And had they actually paid me what I earned, I probably would have stayed there longer than I should have. But um, I call it my internship Yeah. because they really didn't pay me, but I learned a lot. Um, and then after after doing that for about six months, which was way longer than most people did it for, because when you're good at something, you tend to stick around longer than you should. I um, went back to my state farm agency that I was working for and asked them to help me find another position. Um, and they didn't they weren't hiring, but they knew another person who was hiring. So um, this particular guy was uh, he was with um, American National Insurance, which is was a pretty large company. I don't know if yeah. it's large anymore. <laughs> I'm familiar with the impact. I don't know how large they're anymore, but I'm familiar. Yes. Yeah. They, I think they kind of pulled out or pulled away from Texas. Um, cause he ended up going independent within that year that I was working for him. Sure. And, um, when he went independent, uh, well, that was one of the factors that made him decide that he no longer wanted me to work for him. Right. The other factor was I became pregnant and that was the real reason. He told me that he couldn't let a working mom work because I should stay home with my baby. (laughs) So there was that. And that was 2004 because um, my daughter was born in 2005. So um, then after that, I went to go work for, I, he got me licensed. So he did me a favor. He got me licensed and I was able to find a job within like the weekend. I had a new position right. in three days because when you're licensed and new in the industry, you're not making a whole lot of money. I mean, I think I went from 11 to $13 an hour and I was tickled pink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was scary um, interviewing when you're five months pregnant and trying to hide. I tried to wear, wear like you wear the stripes downwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I try to do that as a non-pregnant male. So I get it. Yeah. Um, but I did get hired and um, I could probably thank my husband for getting hired there because yeah. um, of his last name. They hired me because they thought I spoke Spanish until I walked in. And then they uh, realized, and they realized oh, real quick, yeah. <laughs> you don't speak Spanish, do you? And I was like, no, they're like, it's okay. You're still hired <laughs> kind of <That's> scenario. Awesome. <laughs> um, in that particular place, it, uh, it was about an hour. I was used to only driving 15 minutes to work. It was like an hour without traffic. 
Yeah. Um, because I was having to drive into Carrollton and I lived in Denton, which um yeah. is a pretty substantial drive if anyone knows the Texas area. Yes. And when there's traffic, it can be two hours. So yeah. that was wearing on me at five months pregnant. The guy was super nice that I worked for though. And um I like about six weeks in, my bo- the prior boss's friend called me up and I thought he was trying to trick me, but he wanted me to like, he's like, Hey. I want to talk to you and see if I can offer you a position. I was like, y'all playing pranks on me? Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he was basically, he's like, well, um, he told me why um, he let you go. And, but he also was bragging about you the whole time you worked for him, how awesome you were at what you were doing. And he, I just didn't think it was a good reason to let you go. So that particular guy, actually, I negotiated maternity leave and then an extra dollar an hour. And I was, I was super, again, I'm super tickled pink because. Yeah. Another dollar. Yeah. <laughs> and another dollar and I'm closer to home. Um, so I worked for him for a few years and um, I hit a glass ceiling pretty early. He, he hired me as a customer service representative. Yeah. And, but he didn't, um, he actually had me doing all the sales. He just called me a CSR. That way I wasn't getting really paid commission, you know, Um, which I was so loyal and so happy to work for him just because he was so nice to me while I was pregnant and paying me maternity leave. Like I felt it just went a long ways for me. Yeah. That's a culture you don't want to, you know, leave. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a few years in though, I didn't, so you don't really realize, and I believe you have kids too, Heath, don't you? Oh yeah. So you don't know how I Expensive they are until you have like you think you know you're like okay daycare is gonna be 150 I can afford that maybe 50 dollars for food or what I don't know what you're thinking when you have yeah. a baby right but it's never as cheap as in it it's never the same price like everything right. things don't go right um and so after working there um and only making enough for groceries and daycare um yeah. I was went to my employer and asked him if I could have a raise, and he essentially told me that he could, he couldn't really afford me to pay me anymore because I was not really earning my keep, is what he was saying at the time. I believed him, like you know, he I, he wasn't making enough money off of me to pay me any more than he was, and I was only making like thirteen, fourteen dollars an hour. It wasn't like I was making a, a huge amount, yeah. um, and I didn't know what a lot of sales really meant, um, so I. Actually, I was selling on average about sixty thousand a month in premium. Wow, pretty good. In personal lines, yeah. Yeah, yeah, on personal lines, and um, not I didn't being know- a salesperson, that's pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, and so. I mean, I felt like I was doing enough, but then I wasn't positive either because I didn't know, like he didn't ever tell me how much the insurance companies pay him out. Right. So um, I was just frustrated because I couldn't make any more money there. I ended up um, finding a producer position um, locally. Uh, I just happened to get a letter in the mail. And what's funny is the employer that I was working for got the same letter, but I always, I opened all his mail. For him, so I got a letter saying that the a local credit union was looking for a producer that they're starting their own insurance program. Okay. And then I um I got the same letter in the mail, and I was like, and I took it as like a message from God or something. I was like, I think that this is happening for a reason. I'm supposed to work here. I got a message. I got like a yeah. letter that is not. It's not- funny how your brain can trick you. <laughs> your heart can trick your brain into feeling that way. 
It did, yeah. So um, I ended up interviewing and getting a position there. I was there for nine years. Wow. Um, so I was there a really long time. I really excelled where while there and made the kind of income I wanted. And the funny thing was, was I don't know, I guess I didn't learn my lesson with baby number one, because I kept wanting to, I wanted a second one and we couldn't afford it with the first employer. Yeah. So I asked my um, my husband when I'm showing him and I was scared to leave the other one. So I was like, okay, well, like, yeah. we're close. They He lets me off when the baby's sick. You know, I don't know what yeah. to do. I'm scared. And he was like, well, I'll tell you what, the, the way the pay structure was with the credit unit, it was like um, they did it based off of um, plat plateaus. So if you've got like 50,000 in premium, you might get like, a thousand in commission on top of your base. And it just kind of like went up, up, up. And then they gave you raises based off of that too. So he basically told me, he's like, well, if you can average 65,000 a month, which was more than what I was averaging at the previous agency, and they give you a raise and we're making this extra $1,500 a month or whatever it was, he was like, we can have baby number two. So, and he thought it was going to take a year. It took, it took me, I was very highly motivated to have baby number two. (laughs) (laughs) So it took me like six months and he was like, Oh, we got to do this now. So, um, we, uh, you know, we got, we had baby number two and, um, what's funny is because of what happened that the first employer that let me go for having a baby, I was so scared. Like I wasn't scared until actually having to tell my employer, like, I didn't even think about it until I was pregnant. And then I was like, oh, no, there's no turning back now. Now I have to tell them that I'm pregnant. Yeah. And I was scared to death. Um, but they they celebrated it. They were happy for me. They threw me a shower. Um, That's cool. So it was amazing. And it was great there. It was just, I hit a time where I felt like I made the amount of money that I wanted to make. Yeah. That was kind of, it was too easy. I was kind of, I was bored and I wanted to do more. And there wasn't anywhere for me to go there. Sure. Um, and I wanted to build a team and train people. And you know how it goes, like when you're really good at sales, they don't like to take you out of the sales role. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, so that's that's basically what happened there. And then um, and then the following years, I would say up until recently has been a struggle because I took so I took in uh, 2016, I took a leap of faith to go work somewhere else. And um, the employer I had was awful. Like probably, I mean, like he made the first employer that let me go for being pregnant. He made him look like he was the world's best boss. Oh, wow. Like he was, he was awful. Yeah. Um, And he pulled me away from somewhere that I felt like I was making, I was the breadwinner of my household, making a substantial income, feeling really good. I was just bored and wanting more of a challenge and wanting to train other people and, and that type of thing. And um, he made all kinds of promises to me, matched what I was making. Um, and then, and then was asking me to do unethical things. And um, basically after 60 days, let me go. And it was, the struggle was real after that. It was like, I went from making a six figure income and being the breadwinner in my household to making a big goose egg and ha- not having a job anymore. Ugh. So um, I would say like after that, it was hard, like confidence, my confidence. Yeah, just, I can only imagine. Yeah. They don't, they, no one tells you about like when you take that leap of faith, like everyone talks about take the leap, take the leap, take the leap, take the leap. But no one tells you about when you crash. Like it's always like you take the leap and you're going to be successful and awesome things are going to happen. But no one tells you when you fall and break your nose. <laughs> That's what happened to me. Like 
I felt like I was bloodied up after that. Um, it just, I took a real impact on mental health. Um, I got really depressed. I felt really bad about myself. I felt horrible for leaving a job that I made good income on to take a chance and then leave my family at risk of losing everything that we built. Um, it was just, it's just a scary feeling to be in that place. Right. Uh, and I, I guarantee you're not alone in that as a lot of people, male or female have probably been in those shoes to where they're in a position they're doing really well. And then, and this also happens outside our industry. I'm not stupid enough to think that only happens in our industry, mm-hmm. but to have these promises and have another employer come along and, and the grass is always greener as we think, mm-hmm. and it's not. And so, mm-hmm. but I also think not to interrupt your story, but I also think that that is another one of the reasons, and we're going to talk about this, uh, that there's not enough talent in our industry. I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why people may get scared off of some of that because of whatever reason. But I think what you're saying probably resonates with several other people listening to this, if not, you know, several hundred other people listening to this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, what's funny is when I share my story with other women, Uh how they like over half of them can relate with one of the stories. Like maybe, maybe they, they had, they got pregnant and everything was fine, but maybe they took a leap of faith or maybe they hit a glass ceiling where they just couldn't move up where they were at. Usually like one aspect we can really have long conversations and, and talk about the struggle and the struggles are very similar. And it's, it's funny because the stories are different. You know, like if I'm in a room with a bunch of guys, I've learned that, I can't really tell my story because they either don't believe me or they don't want to hear the story. Um, Whereas if I'm in the room with a bunch of girls, we talk about it, but we're not going to take it outside of that room. Right. And that's a, it's a, that's a, I don't know if you could say it a lonely feeling, but that's a a tough feeling to have when you're in a room, depending on what that room is in, you should be able to free, be free and open to tell that story. And um, you know, I I just, I go back for a minute, uh, even beyond what you've talked about. I think there's a real problem in our industry of getting younger. And there's a problem of us not getting there and not getting new blood into our industry, regardless of how many college programs are out there, regardless of how many, you know, commercials on TV with flow or the gecko or whoever out there. (laughs) there's still a shortage of good talent in our industry. And I even think the ones that go to college for insurance, it's always like insurance and finance. And so they end up going into accounting or they go into mm-hmm. something else. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, absolutely. Like I, there's so much, there's so much talent that is untapped in our industry to begin with Yeah. that and insurance is like, I mean, I didn't, fall into insurance on purpose. I fell into insurance by accident. Sure. And I, you know, eventually fell in love with it once I actually understood what it was, but it wasn't, it's not something cool. Like if I, my (laughs) daughter, like when she tells people her mom, they'll be like, what does your mom do? They're like insurance. What does your dad do? Oh, he sells beer. And he's always the cooler one in the conversation. Well, of course. Yeah. He sells beer. (laughs) And so it's just funny that, um, you know, like there's so many different aspects to insurance and there's so many different opportunities. And there are some really cool things about insurance that people just don't, they're closed off to or they don't realize. And as an industry, we have to like let the, let everyone know that we have great opportunities, that we can be cool and fun um, and that you know, the sky's the limit. The problem is, is though the sky's the limit for only certain 
people. And so not everybody has the same opportunity, like in the, but I mean, I would say that I feel like I have a better opportunity in this industry than I would in maybe just regular e-commerce. I don't know for sure. Cause I haven't, I never went into a different role outside of insurance. Right. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely a struggle. And I, and I feel like we have so many talented women. We have so many talented women. And in fact, the industry is made up more of women than men. We have over 60% women are in the insurance field and the other 40% are men. Yet you don't see a lot of women in leadership roles. So, well, that even goes back to that old saying that people like to put on insurance of pale, male, and stale. But what you're saying is more of our industry is females. They're just not in those leadership roles to be recognized like the pale, male, and stale that we do have. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we have we have so much talent and the talent just is going unnoticed. And it's kind of crazy because if I like, for example, if I was at that, if, if in that credit reunion role, if they had told me, when I asked them, you know, hey, can I manage a group of people? Can I move into a leadership role? If they had given me more opportunities, I would still be there. And I would have helped them grow and, and I would have grown with them because I loved it there. I just didn't have the opportunity to move up. And I see a lot of other women that either they have to move companies or sometimes they even leave the industry, which is the saddest part. And then if their kids are watching them grow up and they have a a daughter like I do, and they're watching the daughters watching you grow up frustrated, they're going to look at other fields and try to figure out where else to go and find their opportunities. Love that riff. We are at a mid-roll ad, and this episode has been brought to you so far by my friends over at Coverdesk. Coverdesk does a phenomenal job with your virtual assistants. Getting uh, those administrative tasks off your plate, they can do so much. I can't even get it all into a 30-second spot. Guys, you're going to have to go to Coverdesk.com and check it out. Also, if you have special projects, uh, book rolls, or a lot of new business come in the door that you want to hire a team of virtual assistants. You can hire the team over at Covered Desk Direct and knock out those quotings, uh, knock out those book rolls, knock out those special projects. Covered Desk is phenomenal. I have been privileged to work with some Covered Desk virtual assistants myself, and they are so incredible. They come in as part of your team and make everything so much better, <laughs> so much more efficient. Uh, I love working with Coverdesk, coverdesk.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by my friends over at Agency Performance Partners. Go to agencyperformancepartners.com and check out all the courses that they have to offer, all the trainings, all the templates, all the job descriptions, all of the, the scripts for sales, for remarketing. They give you tools and tricks of the trade to help you to become more efficient help you to become ridiculously amazing. And you can get all their trainings, even the new ones that come out every quarter on a subscription model called the Agency Performance Pack. You're going to want to check that out. Imagine a Netflix style, if you will, of training for your agency. You got a new person coming on board, send them to the training. You got someone has been with you while they need your refresher course, send them to the training. They got uh, workbooks. They got videos. They got quizzes. Uh, you got an opportunity to chat with uh, the, the coaches and the teachers. Uh, they it's so much templates. Uh, it's amazing. Go to agencyperformancepartners.com and check it out. Now, let's get back to the show. 
does it truly go back to the that's the way things have always been done mentality and for the reasoning of not enough in our industry, not enough women in our industry, not enough talent in our industry. Is that truly what you think it goes back to or is it beyond deeper than that? I, I really think that's a lot of it. I think a lot of it, some of it has been, I think sometimes people do things for so long and teach maybe like even the next generation this is how I do it. You know, I've been successful. This is how you need to do it. That sometimes it goes unnoticed. Like they don't, maybe it's not on purpose. It's just that the people that we've seen succeed is this, this a person. So maybe it's an older man, or maybe it's we're grooming the the 30 year old man to, to move into the next position of leadership, because this is who we've seen as successful, but we haven't seen a lot of women as successful or um, a lot of women coming into th- coming into those roles. And even like in sales, it's not as common for women to be in um, producer roles as it is for guys. Like I've, it was funny because the, the producer role I was with in, in the credit union is all girls. So I thought that's how it was. And then I worked in another agency and it was all guys. And I was like, this is so weird that everyone's guys. And they're like, well, this is how most agencies are that I've ever worked at. Usually the service staff are girls or women and the um, producers are the men. And I was out producing a lot of the guys in the office. They're like, how are you doing that? That's weird. Like you're, you're female. Like usually we don't see this kind of thing. And um, I think it's, it's a almost it's a percept perception thing. There's been a perception on um, who will be successful, who can, who has thick enough skin, who's tough enough to make it in this industry. And honestly, I mean, I had two babies. I feel like I'm pretty dang tough, and I think most women would agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, and obviously, you don't have to have babies to be tough. But what I'm saying. Well, is- no, no, I get that. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand what you're saying. I think the other females listening will probably feel the same way and understand where you're coming from on that. Um, so, you know, with this this conversation that we're having, and sometimes this can be tough, and I'm recognizing right now as we talk, the audience listening to this, there's probably a lot of males. There's probably a lot of agency owners. There's probably a lot of people listening to this that may be a little uncomfortable right now. They may be squirming in their chair or walking a little faster or, you know, working out a little harder, whatever it might be. Which is fine. I I wanted to have this conversation because I do think it's a message that should be heard by all audiences, not just females that say, oh, female empowerment. I think Sarah, and I've talked to you several times now, where is that coming from? Instead instead of me putting words in your mouth, you know, I'm on the right track, but I wanted to hear it from you. You are. Yeah. So I've heard and seen a problem that has been kind of, it's been put out there over the last five years, I think more and more that um, the older generation are afraid to retire because there's not enough talent to bring in. We don't know how to attract at what for a while it was like, how do we get the millennials excited about insurance? How do we attract them in so that they can kind yeah. of fill us up that kind of thing. And um, since we don't have enough talent, now we're going to have to find some outsourcing avenues and maybe like free up that talent. So they're not doing mundane work which is great that there's been those solutions creative and created and more and more insurtechs created to try to free up time so that you don't have to bring in as much talent. The problem is, is you still need the talent. We're in a yeah. um, relationship driven business. 
Yep. And empathy is, I would say, is the number one, like soft skills, the number one most important thing in our industry. And you just can't replace people. No. You can't you be replaced can't. With, a, with a computer or with somebody um, who doesn't have that empathetic type personality to be able to relate with a client during a claim situation or during um, a rate hike for that matter. Hike. Oh yeah. We're dealing with that big time in Texas right now. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, I think that's across the country. And I think, you know, like you said, a lot of times going back to the claim scenario, you're dealing with people on their worst day and you can't mm-hmm. replace that with automation. You can't replace yeah. that with a robot or a virtual assistant. Sometimes you need that human touch. You do. You need somebody to say, I understand. Let me see how I can help you. Um, let me listen to you and, and show that I care. Yep. And I think, um, Honestly, and with a lot of research I've done, women do a great job at empathizing. I'm not saying that men don't too, because, you know, many, many men can do that, but we have more emotional intelligence built into us naturally. I know a lot of females that can run circles around a lot of men in sales. So to mm-hmm. categorize and put people in these boxes doesn't always work. It doesn't, but yeah. It doesn't always to work. your point though, you're right. Um, you know, I think to your point, there's probably some facts around women are more empathetic in that. And so um, I, I did find it fascinating going back to what you said a minute ago, about 60% of the industry are females, but there's the other side of that coin that I thought was fascinating. Do you mind sharing the other side of that? Um, not at all. So um, 60% female, which means, you know, the other 40% are uh, men, but only 12% of women make it into leadership roles. And that's upper management. So lower management roles, you see, um, you know, women do make it into those. But once you get into beyond the upper, beyond the lower management roles, you don't see a lot of females. And then um, in C-level, it's even less. But um, it's kind of crazy when you think 60% are female and only 12% are in leadership roles. Now, and, and I I see that and I understand that and I've seen that traditionally for many years. However, I would be interested, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I think this would go several ways. And again, going back to toes being stepped on a little bit maybe, but I do think I've seen a, res- not a resurgence, a uptick in female owner, agency owners lately. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's more of those now than ever. Do you think that that is due to a, uh, a ceiling type of atmosphere in other agencies. It's like, I'll just start my own and I'll just kick ass in my own agency. Or do you think that, uh, I guess, going back to let you speak your own words there? Yeah, um, I think it could be. I think it could be because the only way, and I was looking more at um, women owned businesses. Yeah. Um, but women owned businesses, which include agencies as well, that is the only way that women can control the outcome of where they go, that they control their future, they control their outcome, they control their culture. It's the only real way to control what what your future is. Whereas if if they felt like they had the opportunities and the future where they are at, like either within the agency or the carrier or wherever, they wouldn't have to go and start their own thing because they right. would see the opportunity in front of them. So I do, I do think that that's the case. And I think as people get more experience in the, in the field, because I don't see, I mean, I know I wouldn't be able to be successful as an agency owner, you know, within the first five years, like you, you have a lot to learn. And then if you have a small family and you're the breadwinner and, and um, there's a lot of layers to like what a good, what an age is that you can 
make it happen, really. And um, so I think like as more and more women are becoming a little bit older in the in the insurance field and they can afford to make those changes and they haven't been able to move up, I do I do think that a lot of them are taking control of their own future, which um, thank goodness they're staying in the insurance field, but some of them are choosing to start businesses outside of the insurance field as well. Sure. So then we're losing talent that way too. And um, I just... We need that. We need to keep the talent in house, like in in insurance. We need to keep it here, and we can, you know, all grow together. Yeah, and I would think even even more than recruiting new talent. I mean, obviously, there's got to be some of that, but I think promoting from within would go a long way in our industry as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think that really having programs in place and knowing that you're going to you're gonna you're gonna like basically take all your boxes, like you were saying remove all the boxes and just make it one big room (laughs) kind of thing where everybody is equally promoted on what they can do, what you, you know, what they're agreed. And that goes male, female, black, white, no matter what it is. I think you're right. I think that's where we need to become, you know, more unified, more of a community, you know, um, and, and take care of one another in that role. I think you're right on that. Tell me this, um, Talk to me about, or tell the audience uh, about Undiscovered Voices. Okay. So um, I wrote a book on this very subject, Undiscovered Voices, and I brought a copy of it. Nice. Um, It's basically um, my story along with 10 other women's stories of what's happened with them in the industry. And there's good stories, you know, like happy stories where they're, this is their success and this is why. And then there's not so happy stories like my story. (laughs) Um, And I would say that, you know, 2016, when I fell on my face, I have been able to pick myself back up and I have found a a new home where I'm working at now and I'm happy and I'm back to where I was, I'm back to where I want to be. So I do have a success story within my own story. Just, just, I just don't want everyone to think I'm a loser. So I just want to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) I I definitely don't feel that way. I don't think my citizens do either. (laughs) Um, But um, so what I did was I basically, um, I had a, I had a conversation with a friend of mine and um, the employer that I told you about in 2016 that I fell on my face and really crushed my self-esteem. He told me if I ever shared my story with anybody um, after he, he basically forced me to quit, but he fired me um, for crying too much was the reason why I got fired. Um, and I think there's other reasons too, but that was, that was the ultimate reason he said he right. was tired cry. And he said, if you ever share what happened in my office to you, I'll have you blacklisted in the insurance industry. And he's like, I can do it. I know people. Oh, Lord have mercy. Okay. Yeah. And so I told a girlfriend of mine that, you know, we're sharing stories like we were talking about earlier. And she was like, she's like, oh my gosh, who is this man? And how does he have so much control over you? And she was really upset with him, not with me, but it didn't sit with me well. And I had, um, I had been kind of like hearing, you know, all the buzz about us not having enough talent. And I sat there and I thought, I was like, you know, I would consider myself talented and I've had a really hard time in the, in this industry. I need to do some research on it and I need to figure out what's, what's really going on. Um, I happened to be friends with a publisher and I reached out to the publisher, see if he would be interested in a, in a book about women and insurance. And it's actually become so much more than that. Um, I've got 10 other women's stories. And um, I did the research on kind of where women 
land in the insurance field, why it's hard to move up, what kind of what kind of mindset things there are. And it's not just the male mindset, it's also the female mindset. There's some things within us that hold us back as well. And the lean in movement mm-hmm. just frustrates the heck out of me because the only way like I don't I don't think I should have to change myself to be more like a man in order to move up. It's not fair for you to ask me to change. Um, And to me, like when I listened to that book, that's all like I got really frustrated with it because I was like, but if I ask for a raise, they tell me no. Or if I act, you know, a certain way, they it's still I'm still not getting the results. Um, I, I don't understand how I can lean in enough to get what I need in order to move up into a company. I haven't been able to see that talk to other women, same thing. I was like, I think it's like, maybe we, we both lean, we all lean in, in the middle or something. We all lean on each other, maybe lean on instead of lean in. <laughs> right. I got uh, you. I'm hearing you. And so I wanted to create a book that kind of rose, raised awareness, but also um, gave, gave the people that maybe d- don't see, like they don't feel the same frustrations or have the same struggles because you can only have those struggles if you're, in that skin. Sure. That makes sense. And so if, if sure. you're not feeling it, but you are feeling the struggle of not having enough talent and not trying to figure out like, how do I hire enough talented people? How do I attract more people? Um, well, then I ha- then there's a solution. I mean, really, the solution is that you talk to the women you have already, because most people have quite a few women in their staff, find out what their fu- what they see for their future, what how they want to move up, what are they good at, and um, maybe make a path for them. And then everybody's kind of pulling everybody up. The table can always get bigger. The table, you know, the um, table in the conference room, instead of just having the same people in it all the time, like get different perspectives, you know, make your table a little bit bigger and now and make it the most important thing is making communication easier, making it so people aren't scared to talk about how certain how things make them feel or how they maybe are frustrated because they feel like they don't have a career path with the company or the agency and finding solutions. It's really about, it's really about solving the solution or finding a solution to the talent um, crisis or the lack of talent. Cause we don't have a lack of talent. We have plenty of talent. And then the next generation will see that talent. It's just Um, a matter of getting them into our industry. Mm -hmm. So tell me this, uh, what was the biggest, positive or the biggest thing that you learned from hearing these 10 people's stories and writing this book and telling your story? Um, so that the biggest thing I learned was, and I already kind of knew I wasn't alone, but I was surprised at how not alone I am because what I was told was, and I was told by numerous different people, um, mostly being employers that the problem isn't um, that women aren't moving up, the talent, the problem was me. They kept telling me that I'm not moving up because I'm not talented. You know, you're, you're the, you're the problem. There's a common denominator. You're the problem. And then I'm talking to other women that are feeling the same way. And when we have a community to support one another, it just makes you like, if you feel like you're not the problem and you feel like you can, um, use your talent and really make a difference. I mean, the, the sky's the limit. And um, and like I said, not everybody even realizes that they are not seeing the talent that they have underneath them or right in front of their faces. And so, yeah. so I think that feeling of not being alone is one thing, and then another of believing in yourself and taking that empowerment on yourself instead of letting someone else 
dictate your worth. Right. Right. Yeah. And then just seeing that, I mean, it was surprising when I saw that, like I knew that a lot of the industry was women. I didn't realize how little were on the um, higher levels. You know, like I thought, I really thought it was going to be like 30%. I'm like, okay, 60% women, there's probably 30% leadership roles. And it's kind of mind boggling when you, when you see that it's not. And really um, we can all, if we work together, we can all solve the lack of talent, like we would have, everybody would want to be in our industry. Yeah, they- it's the greatest industry in the world, in my opinion. And I've been in it like you since I was a kid. And uh, I mean, my entire life, that's all I've ever known is insurance. And so I relate to you in that it's such a great industry and completely unique and different than any other industry out there because it is sales, but it is relationships. It is solving problems. It is dealing with every human emotion and facet and business sense and everything all in one. It's it's fant- fantastic. I mean, you can't have a house or drive a car without insurance. You can't own a business without insurance. You can't get a loan without insurance. You can't, I mean, the, the, the possibilities are endless of things you have to have insurance for. So yeah, I agree with you on that. And it's crazy, as you said, I mean, the, the lack of talent in our industry or new talent coming in, I should say, is mind boggling. We have a lot of talent in our industry, I should say, but attracting new talent. So that is a problem. So mm-hmm. as you went through this process, and you're still talking about this day, and this is probably going to be a new platform for you for a while. Is what is is there a solution that you've come up with, or is there is it just more of an awareness thing? No, I definitely have solutions. So the first half of the book is showing what the problem is, showing why there's a problem. Because if if no one thinks there's a problem, I mean, I had gone to some conferences while I was working on the book, and I was presenting, and depending on who I was presenting to, they're like oh, that's not true, or there's no problem. Or I even had one person tell me, which I thought was very insightful. He was like, oh, it's a perception problem. You know, we think that we don't have uh, enough talented people. You know, like we feel like there's a talent shortage in our industry. He was like, but we're just not seeing the talent. He's like, it's a perception issue. There's not a real issue. So if we change our perception, then we solve the problem. So I spend the first half just really kind of digging into the problem and where it came from and what's happening. And um, and then I spend the other half on talking about the benefits of women in leadership, what we end up, what, what you as a company make more money, um, have more different ideas and different um, perceptions that just really change it for the pot. Like it's all positive. And then I go into how to make it happen within different size companies. So really how to find that talent, how to um, mine them, if you will. Yeah. And um, just really like um, you have gold, you just haven't seen it. You have all these di- diamonds in a rough that just haven't been polished. I don't know what you do with the diamond in the rough. I've just heard that. It's just saying. <laughs> but you know. <laughs> right. No, I get it. <laughs> and so, so I really go into that. And then I go into, we can start changing. Like if we really work hard on it now, we can change the perception of the next generation because Gen Z and Gen Z is completely different, completely different than millennials. They really believe in certain, like they're more about the company culture than they are a lot of times about money. They want stability because they saw a lot of instability growing up. And um, we have the stability. We could have the awesome culture. They just have to see that we, we're going to have that. And then, um, and then they just want a company that they want to work for places that really stand for something. Right. And for either equality or maybe LGBTQT, 
Did I say that right? <laughs> you, you got all the letters in there. Um, I, I think, I yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right on. I think it does go back to culture. I think it does go back to, you know, what you're providing. And I just uh, launched a course on hiring and, and, and retaining and training talent. And one of the things we do talk about in there is exactly what you're saying is having built in those uh, service days, community service, getting involved in mm-hmm. stuff bigger than the agency and serving in your community. Because you're right, this younger generation, they want to feel like they're a part of something. They, they want to go to work and feel like I'm not just slinging insurance policies or I'm not just that. underwriting. I'm making a difference. You're exactly mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So I think you're dead on there. I love that you've come to that uh, because you talk about that in your book. Uh, and yeah. If they want, if people listening to my show right now want to find this book, where where can they find it and how? Um, so Amazon, um, okay, you can awesome. find it on Amazon, and you literally just have just have to put in Undiscovered Voices. There are a couple other books with that name, but it's Undiscovered Voices: Unlocking the Potential of Women in Insurance is the full title. But, but yours is popping up number one right now under that category. It is, yeah, and it's purple. Um, It's purple and yellow and it has a lock. It has a woman that um, is getting unlocked because her potential is being unlocked. That's awesome. (laughs) That is awesome. And one of the other things I, uh, and my audience knows, uh, I'm raising two daughters myself. So this topic was very near and dear. And my wife is a CEO of a company. And so this resonated well with me. But one of the things you told me, if you could just tell briefly before we have to go, your daughter was involved in this book. And I would love to hear you talk about that for just a few minutes before we have to go. (laughs) So I would say my very favorite part of the book is the chapter my daughter wrote. So um, I talk about what Gen Z is looking at. I show the research and then I actually, she made me pay her a dollar a word, but I had her um, (laughs) write me 500 words on what she thought about the insurance field and why she would or would not um, think about becoming part of our world. And um, her story, just the way she wrote it, her perception, perspective, and just getting it from my own Gen Z, um, just, uh, it was beautiful to me. Every time, every single time I read it, I cry. I can't help it. That is amazing. That is amazing. So, and she's now a published author at 17. So. And a paid, <laughs> a paid published author. She is because she uh, knows how to to get me to give her money. <laughs> there you go. That is fantastic. I love hearing that. I wanted to end on that note because I think it's awesome. Uh, what's your daughter's name? Mia. Mia. Shout out to Mia. Uh, <laughs> Mia Mooney's fantastic. I love it. So um, thank you so much for hanging out. I wish we had more time. I just looked up and realized, holy smokes, we're running up on time. Um <laughs> Thank you so much. I'd love to hear more from you on this and maybe we'd come back. Maybe we can do a Facebook live sometime. I really think your story is going to hit with a lot of people and probably ruffle some feathers, but that's okay. Um, because it comes from a place of, you know, wanting to push our, our industry forward and push people forward, not go backwards and not from a place of hate or anger. But Sarah Mooney's comes from a place of pushing forward and, and of love and of you know, trying to build others up. So thank you for that. Thank you for what you stand for. Thank you for everything you shared. I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate you too. This was fun. Yeah, it was. It really was. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for checking out the episode today with Sarah Muniz. I really hope that this episode provided some value and the content we brought you made you a better insurance professional. Guys, if it did, please go and subscribe. 
go uh, like the LinkedIn post, the Facebook post, tell your friends about it as we continue to increase in downloads and continue to increase in emails, Heath at insurancetownpodcast.com and continue to increase our brand. We want uh, to continue to add more value. So shoot me an email. Let me know what you think. If you have a good guest, I love it when you send me ideas for guests. I love it when you send me content. I love you send me questions to answer. So much fun. We want to continue to grow the insurance town. We've got a couple stoplights up. We want to continue to grow that. So please subscribe so you can get all the newest content when it comes out. Also, we're doing a segment for a mailbag episode. Send in a video of you asking your question. I'll put it audibly on the Facebook page and we'll create a YouTube video answering all your questions. Heath at insurancetownpodcast.com. If you have an idea for your own show, please go to getreadysetpodcast.com. Ready, set, podcast, turning your brilliant idea into reality. Thanks again, guys. And I look forward to hanging out with you again next week.